Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Under the Sea, where we dive deep, way below the surface. My name is Christina, but my friends call me C, and today I'd like to introduce my friend Ashley Head. Ashley is a father, he's a husband, he is the senior clinical manager for the pharmaceutical company that we work for, and he's also a successful entrepreneur who owns three of his own businesses. But his life was not always this glamorous. By looking at Ashley, I would have never known that he lost his mother as a child. He lived in a trap house, stole food to survive, and he was placed in and out of foster care because his dad almost killed his brother. On today's episode, you're going to hear Ashley's story in his own words and how he overcame adversity and defied all the odds. I've only known Ashley for over a month, and he's really one of the most interesting people that I've met in a long time, so I'm super excited for you guys to meet him and hear his story. You know, he's just one of those people that when he walks in the room, he lights it up, and he has such a good energy around him. He comes into work every day, just ready to seize the day, chin up, he's got a bubbly personality. Me, I'm like four cups of coffee deep, wondering how the hell I'm going to get through another seven hours of work, but he's just always positive. I was so intrigued by him. Like, who is this guy? Where is he from? Why is he so happy all the time? Like, what did he drink in the morning? Does he drink pre-workout? Is that why he's so hyper and in a good mood? But still, like... Even with pre-workout, it's never affected me like that. Whenever it was, I wanted his energy to rub off on me. And they say, you are who you hang around. So I started inviting him to lunch with me. Everybody has their own story, but usually you only see what people try and depict on social media. This picture-perfect life with all the filters. You never really know their true story unless you take the time to sit there and get to know them and peel back all the layers and get to the core of somebody. And then you're surprised by some of the shit you'll find out. And I love me a good story. I'm constantly listening to podcasts. I'm reading crazy books. All kinds of crazy shit. I think, like, secretly I wish I were a detective. And I'm also just really nosy. So I just started digging into Ashley's life. I wasn't prepared for what he was going to tell me. I'm going to let Ashley tell you his story in his own words. Ashley, I'm super excited you're my first guest. Why don't you introduce yourself and then take us back all the way to the beginning, Dayton, Ohio, where you were born. (laughs) Okay, we'll do it. Well, my name is Ashley Head. I currently live in San Diego, California, by way of many cities in the U.S. Uh, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. And after that, I did an internship in Houston, Texas, and ended up working in Kansas City, Missouri, Chicago. And um, I even did a year in the Dominican Republic uh, as a Christian missionary teacher for one year. But, um, and, but I did that before living in New York for several years. And um, now I currently live in San Diego, California, where I am I'm married to my lovely wife, Lindsay Head. And uh, we have a son, Carter, and um, I work as a, a, a clinical manager uh, of uh, clinical operations, so a senior manager of clinical operations during the day. But uh, my wife and I also have uh, several businesses, one of which is a vlog and a business called Boss Parents. We also own a talent management company, Natural International Talent Alliance. Uh, we have one a company that we recently launched um, called Curls Poppin is a hair tool, uh, complimentary hair tool product company. So uh, we're pretty busy raising our son, working and managing businesses. So uh, that's pretty much where I am nowadays. And um, not only that, the running the businesses, but we also uh, find time to work out at least three to four times a week. I do not know how <laughs> you manage to do all of that. <laughs> I'm lucky if I make it to the gym after work. <laughs> Yeah. So, all right. Well, <laughs> you on are very successful, and you. You, I'm so lucky you sit right near me because <laughs> I'm hoping that success will rub off on <laughs> me. Off, yeah. But why don't you take it all the way back from the very beginning of your life? You were born in Dayton, Ohio. Yes. I know nothing about Ohio other than you got the Cavs, <laughs> you got the Browns, and you got Ohio State. So yes. tell a Jersey girl what it's like, well, what it was like. You're born in Ohio. Okay. Well, first of all, Ohio, I think, is considered one of the uh, like the perfect 
quintessential middle America cities where mm-hmm. the average income is like $27,000. Everybody marries their high school sweetheart, has 2.5 kids, has a white picket fence, a dog, and that's just the life they live. Celebrate all holidays. And um, it's just a beautiful town to grow up in. And unfortunately, a lot of jobs have left because of the uh, GM factory closing. Right. But um, still a beautiful city to grow up in. Very safe. Did you live in a beautiful city? You, well, Dayton, Ohio is, is, is a beautiful city. But um, I grew up in essentially um, a very uh, average neighborhood, a two-bedroom two home with my mm-hmm. father and two brothers. But taking it way back, um, I was born there and I lived there my first 18 years. But I was born there um, to my father and my mother. And um, at the age of two weeks old, just two weeks, my mother died of an aneurysm. um, And my father was left to take care of, raise three boys on his own. So how old are your brothers? So uh, one brother is 12 years older than me and the other is two years older than me. So one, I just turned 37. So one, my oldest brother is 49 and my other brother is 39. Okay, and so your dad has to raise three boys. What's yes. that like living with your dad? Okay, so my so my father, when my mother died, um, you know, he was working but decided to not work anymore. As a 34-year-old man, he decided not to work. This is 1981. And um, for, for the first three to four years of my life, all I remember is, is my father, memories of my father. There was uh, a TV in the home, but it was never on. He read a lot. Uh, we stayed in the home a lot. He never had any company ever. We hardly went anywhere. Mm-hmm. So he pretty much uh, went to clinical depression and kept me and my brother, who's two years older, to myself, to himself. And oh, he, wow. He just, so, it, was, it was crazy. So your mother's death, re- death really took a toll on him. It really did because, I mean, they were in love. I mean, that was his high school sweetheart. Oh, so they wow. were they fell in love in, in, in Alabama and then they moved to Maine, had my oldest brother when he was in the military. Mm-hmm. And then they moved to Dayton, Ohio, where, where they settled and decided to raise a family. So when she died, it just... And it was completely unexpected. It was completely unexpected. I mean, I, I assume or I heard that she had migraines, but, um, you know, she had me August 2nd and here it was two weeks later. Oh, my she ended goodness. She up waking up in the middle of the night asking him to take her to the hospital and she never came home. So... How was it for you being raised by a father and without a mother? Like, did you have, I don't know if there's even such thing as mommy issues, or was it you didn't have a mother like figure in your life? Well, well you know what? It, it, was, uh, it was very interesting because you only know what you know. You know, I didn't know that I was lacking the mother uh, part of my life. I just knew that my father uh, was everything. He was my nurse, mm-hmm. he was my doctor, he was the person that fed me, the person that you know, reared me, the, the person that I played with. So I didn't know a difference. A really funny story is that when I was in a kindergarten, I was about five years old, uh, one of my friends who I'm still friends with to this day, uh, she and I were in kindergarten drawing our family pictures and I drew my father, my brothers, and myself, and she drew her father, her brother, and this person with the triangle bottom half. And I looked at her and I said, who's this person with the triangle bottom half? And she said to me, uh, as she elbowed me, she said, fool, that's not a... a person with a triangle bottom half, a man with a triangle bottom half, that's my mother, and everybody has a mother. I was like, I don't. What is a mother? Oh, my goodness. So she called the teacher over. The teacher, Miss Lackey, these are all females, but I just didn't understand what mm-hmm. a mother was. She wrote a note, pinned it on my shirt. I took it home. I remember my, my father taking it off and laughing, saying that um, he said, you know, ha, 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 you know, you, you, you. You don't have a mother. Uh, you were brought to us by a stork, and you were crying on my porch, making too much noise, so I decided to bring you in and raise you. If you want a mother, oh call me goodness. Mr. Mom. So as a five-year-old, I looked up and said, I don't understand anything he just said about a stork in a, in a basket, but okay, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mom. So I called him Mr. Mom probably a few weeks, few months, I don't know, but okay. I got over it. That's how that first conversation about, like, where's my mother, that's how he blew it over. Right, yeah. and what is the dynamic like between you and your brother? Because your brother is only two years older than you, yeah. um, and then you have another brother that's 12 years older. So what's it like in the household? Well, ironically, it was significantly different. For the for the brother that was 12 years older, obviously he had experienced time with our mother. Right. So he was devastated and started to um, I essentially, I guess, act out in school or not do as well as he could have in school. Mm-hmm. So his grades slipped. and It was just hard for him. And my father had this relationship where he wanted him to like be a man all of a sudden, but he's a right. 12-year-old boy. And then for the brother that's two years older than myself, 
a little different because I was the baby, so he had to tend to me as a single parent father versus having a wife raise his other two kids. He had to more so tend to me, so there may have been some strain for the attention when I was younger. My dad called uh, my brother to me. He would say, that's the knee baby. And I said, what is a knee baby? It's the one who wants to get to where the baby is when he just got off the lap. He's like the knee baby. Aww. So my brother, who's two years older, is the knee baby. So did your brother and you have a good relationship? Did you kind of stick together through this all? Well, we, well you know, um, ironically, by the time I was seven, my dad became drug addicted. He was in that, that wave of drug addicted people in the 1980s. And so um, my brother and I, unfortunately, the oldest one went to the army and the one who's two years older, he and I stayed in, my, in the home with my father who you know, became drug addicted from the age of seven until you know, I was an adult. But um, so, we were we we went through all the struggles together, but not necessarily close during the time. Oh, you didn't really like stick together through those times and like lean on each other because I feel like. Well, you know what? Actually, going through the struggle, mm-hmm. we did we did lean on each other. We shared every meal. We shared clothes. We shared the pain mm-hmm. of living in a, a a drug home. And and when I say drug home, it was actually the trap house. Okay, like what kind of jazz are we talking about? We're talking about, uh, in the 80s, it was more so just crack. Mm-hmm. Crack and marijuana. And so you're like seven years old, and yes. your dad is doing crack, and you mentioned, tell everybody, describe what a trap house is so, for so people that you hear the trap about the trap house and many raps <laughs> and many gangster songs and gangster music and rap music. The trap house is essentially a house where there are drugs, there are prostitutes, there are drug transactions. It's very dangerous. There are guns. I've lived and slept through two shootouts in the home that I lived in, woke up, and there were bullets in the hole in the wall where my head would have been, my brother as well. Oh, my gosh. So people uh, people go there to do their drug transactions. You go there to buy drugs. You go there to sell drugs. Prostitutes lived in our home. I know many and plenty of drug dealers and prostitutes by name in Dayton, Ohio, because they made their, their start in our house, our trap house on uh, 1447 Chadwick Drive. It was a drug house that the police been to many times, Many of records in the 1980s and early 90s mm-hmm. have my address on the record because of the activity that was happening, illegal activity. I mean, you're only a kid and you're experiencing all this craziness yes. go down. I mean, yeah. what are your thoughts as a little kid? Like, do you know that this is not normal? Like, do you have friends that you're going to their house and seeing that their lives are not the same as yours? So, so ironically, um, we had friends when we were little and I would go to their homes and you know, eat and hang out and have sleepovers. Um, we knew our house was different, but Anthony and I, my brother Anthony was two years older, we were pretty cool kids, so when we did have Nintendo and things like that before they were stolen or whatever, friends would come to our house and it, our house was a cool house because there were no rules. You could be right. loud, you can spill food, you can come late, come early, stay late, whatever, mm-hmm. or stay if, overnight if you wanted to without asking permission because our house was like the, the do whatever you want. It was a free-for-all, so people loved to come to our house for that reason. There were no parents saying turn down the music or anything like that, but um, we we did know that there was a difference between like our house and like when you go to their homes and their mom and dad would be there or mom would make right. dinner. We knew there was a difference that people would always had food and we'd be like, you take this for granted. We don't even have food at our house. Was your dad ever pushing you to get involved with like dealing drugs or any of that? No. Or did he try and like you know keep you kind of away from the transactions and everything that's going on in the house? Yeah. So our father, he was an interesting character. He was very private. He was um, essentially like, from from the looks of looking outside looking in, he looked like a functioning crackhead, mm-hmm. a functioning drug addict. He. Uh, he would, you know, get dressed for sometimes parent-teacher conferences. He would get dressed, put on a suit, brush his hair. You know, his teeth were good. So he just never knew that he was doing crack seven days a week, 24-7. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so teachers had no idea that no you're idea. in this household, that there's, like, hookers, that right. there's crack. They had no idea. And, then, and I would even repeat clothes sometimes, but they wouldn't know that I was, you know, it was bad at home. Because you were a pretty good student, so right? I was a pretty good student, yeah. So uh, back to the question of my father asking... Uh, us to be involved with any activity he would not and I would even tell him like I want to be a drug dealer when I grow up or I'm going to start selling drugs make money like you know watch your mouth fool don't talk like that no you won't so mm-hmm. he'd be like although he was like high on crack he would still try to instill morals in us to be able to survive interesting and was he providing you with like food and clothes and or did he kind of just spiral and you, you had to fend for yourself you know he actually spiraled 100% from the day my mother died my father spiraled Mm-hmm. He, uh, he did. He was. He was always in the home. He never neglected us. He never left the home. 
but um, he did 100% um, on the first of the month he would buy food because he was getting uh, social security mm-hmm. but uh, he had so much pride he wouldn't even allow us to sign up for, for uh, reduced lunches he had pride mm-hmm. but he wouldn't have money to give us a dollar and 35 cents every day yet and still he wouldn't sign up for reduced lunches so were there days that you went that you were hungry or like most of my days as a child I went hungry I know from mm-hmm. like age 7 to probably 10 I didn't even have a toothbrush Oh my gosh! And we your teeth have, look pretty good. I mean, <laughs> sure. I did have toothbrush, but we, well, how would they get bad if you're not eating food? You're not getting Snicker bars and Doritos oh and soda. Goodness. I didn't even have soda when I was little. From I soda and apple juice, orange juice. I didn't even get to taste those things really until I was like eleven or twelve years old, like years right. of just That's drinking water crazy. out the faucet, getting crackers or grapes or just whatever small hamburger one-offs I could get Mm -hmm. but um that's why because my teeth weren't even exposed to a lot of food (laughs) and you mentioned to me that you had a little klepto problem for a couple years yeah nobody could guess but um you know I'm all refined and I'm a scientist now but uh age I would say like eight to ten most of the meals that I consumed were stolen I had to go to the grocery store and steal the food that I ate what kind of food were you stealing, like Twinkies uh, you know, no, or Slim Jims? I would, you know, I, would uh, I would go. I mean, it's Dayton, Ohio, so most it's like not cold eight months a year at least. So I would go mm-hmm. to the grocery store on like Saturday, ride my bike, park it in the back, my huffy, but mm-hmm. park it in the back. Go in, unzip my jacket to about middle of my chest, and go through the grocery store. And whatever I could fit in my coat, I would just grab and stick in there. And I would hold my stomach in and use my left hand to hold it all up, and, and my mm-hmm. right hand just drop stuff right down my jacket. And then when I, my jacket was full, I would just walk out the store, hop on my bike, still holding my jacket with my left hand. I would just go home. Now, was that food for you, or are you providing it for your brothers? And I, would, your dad? I would provide it for my brother and share with my dad as well, because the other half of me getting food, I would help this um, older woman in our neighborhood with like chores, and I would say, hey, Miss Miller was her name. Before I leave, may I pack a snack? So she would let me pack wheat thins or grapes, or like Doritos or granola bars, whatever, and I would get enough to share with my brother and my father. She knew I didn't have food, and she would she would buy extra sometimes just so I can kind of pinch off of that and go home and share. So my dad didn't know if I was getting it from her. He didn't know how I got my He food. didn't really ask, probably, he didn't ask. right? He was like, you know, Ashley's coming home with food. Mm-hmm. Most of it was stolen. Right. So you're living with your dad. Things are spiraling, and then... What happened? Tell everybody what happened at around age 14. Well, around age 14, I was um, already a freshman in high school, and I was doing, like, okay, uh, mm-hmm. average academically, but I was doing really well on the track team. And so this is the freshman year. In the freshman year, we had, like, two weeks left. We were getting ready for the regional meet. Um, I knew that. That was around the time. One morning, I was uh, leaving for school, and, and, you know, to my brother and dad, love you guys, see you later. Normal morning, I went to my bus stop and went to school, and Anthony went to his bus stop and went to school, like, after me. Mm-hmm. But I knew they were having a conversation about money because my brother was getting ready for junior prom. So um, that afternoon, they called me to the main office right before we were going to the buses to go to the track meet. And I'm like, yeah, I know what the police are here for. you. I was like, for what? I was like, get your stuff, and you're going to leave with them. So, I, I, so what is your thought when the police come? I like, was like, oh, my God, what happened? Did somebody die? Mm-hmm. Um, did my dad have a heart attack? So you really had no idea, like, I you weren't no sure. Idea. I was like, what? Do you, what, what? Mm-hmm. Did the house burn down? Like, why are they coming to get me? Um, what did I do? I was like, I, didn't, I don't know. I, I you know what the thing. So um, I get into the police car, and I say, hey, we're, we're taking you to your home. I'm like, why? I was like, we're going to get some clothes. And because um, something very tragic happened at your house today. I was like, what? They said, your brother and your father got into an argument, and your father pulled out a gun and shot at your brother. I was like, did Anthony get hit? He was like, No. But your dad is in jail, and you're already a ward of the court, and you're going to foster care in the meantime till we figure things out. So they took me to my apartment, told me to go inside and get my clothes and come back out. I went inside, locked the door, packed the bag, jumped off the balcony, and went to my friend's house and spent the night. Aww. Okay, and so what's your reaction to this? Like, are you angry at your father for, like, shooting at your brother? I was so angry. I didn't understand what happened. I was like, what happened? Because I hadn't spoken to either of them, and the police only knew that they had to get me from school. Mm -hmm. So no one really knew exactly what happened. There were no cell phones back then. I couldn't call or text anybody. So I'm just in the car, 
on the way to my apartment, like, oh my God, what happened? Did my dad shoot my brother? Did Anthony hurt my dad? Like, what happened? What made them fight? What was what was it about? I was like, I was scared. I was sad. I was mad. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't. I was just confused, and I was worried about myself. Like, what would happen? What am I gonna do? Am I gonna not go back to school and just work? And I didn't know what. Right. What and you the, were so close with your father. You still yes. loved him, and you wanted to stay with him. One hundred percent. I was like, regardless, that's my father. That's my dada. Mm-hmm. So he could do no wrong. It's crazy how like fathers they just can do no wrong in their child's eyes. Like they no matter no what, like you put them on a pedestal and you look up to them. Yeah. Like your dad put you through a lot and you still cared about him so much. Right. And you were telling me that when you got put in foster care, you were more angry with your brother. One hundred percent. They uh, so so the next day, uh, my the police, they remember that the day before I tricked them and so they came to school this time and they got me and they put me in cuffs and they put me in a car and they took me directly to the foster home. Mm-hmm. As soon as I walked in the door, you know, I met the mother and I saw Anthony, I was like, I hate you. He should have killed you. The first thing I said. Oh my goodness. So they walked to the foster parents like, you know, don't say that and they came they went and they showed me my room, told me to put my things down. They mm-hmm. brought Anthony and I to the kitchen and what I remember her saying, we're gonna, I'm gonna love you. We're not gonna always get along, but we will respect one another, and you will respect each other. This right. is our house. It's a God fearing house. Mm-hmm. Blah 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 blah. And you were raised <laughs> atheist, and now you're put in a house that's Christian. I was raised by an atheist. My father was an atheist, and I was brought into this Christian home. I'm like, who is this woman? What and are they talking about? So, how many other siblings are in the house? So we had um, two older siblings, and one was the same age as Anthony. And then uh, there was Anthony and I, two under two younger siblings. So there ended up being five of them, and we added to the bunch to make six and seven. Oh my god! So seven That's a kids, big, seven house. In house. So big house. So tell everybody what it's like. So you're now placed in foster care with your brother, who you clearly resent at the yes. time, right? Because so your brother got you in this mess in the first place in your eyes. In my eyes, yes. Your dad is in jail. Yes. And now yeah. you're living in a house of seven. Um, yes. And and tell me what's it like? Because I think you you might be my first friend that was in, placed in a foster care. I have friends that are adopted, but you went to foster care. What is that like? Because I've only heard bad stories from <laughs> from the sick podcast and shit I listen yeah. to. So tell me what it's like. Well, first of all, um, when you become a foster kid, a lot of the times it's to these uh, these this should be like a nice couple or a person that wants to just help you to transition like while the courts or whatever figures out what what your what the next move will be for your life okay. they take you in for a couple months and you may go to a relative or whatever so that was my understanding that I'd just be there for a few months my dad would go to jail he'd get out I'd go back to my dad well my dad ended up going to prison as a result of his offense so um, things changed for me I was in my freshman year it was that summer and um, they, you know, explain themselves to be nice, to be kind, mm-hmm. to, um, you know, want to just help us and, and show us, you know, that they are, have some compassion for us. And they actually were true to that. Um, they were God-fearing. It was mm-hmm. Alpha Favors and Daryl Favors. They were God-fearing. They kept the house filled with food. They had a junk food cabinet. I've never seen a cabinet so filled with junk food in my life. Mm-hmm. Oreos, Doritos. It was, a, it was an amazing... Um, Transition or, or, or different. So it sounds difference. like you upgraded a little. It was a upgrade, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, straight up upgrade. It, it was good. It was good. So it it was everything. Did that, it feel like home for you though? You know what? It never felt like home because it wasn't my home. Yeah. You know, they would be like, you know, Ashley and Anthony, get your food. And I would be like, oh, they're just making us get food because we're foster kids. Yeah. And then another time, like, oh, spaghetti's ready. And they'll name out, you know, the other siblings. And then, t- and then they call me. And I'm like, oh, they're just calling me last because I'm a foster kid. So they can never do right by me. It's right. Like, I was mad you if I was first. I was mad like if I was an last. Outcast. I always felt like an outcast. Uh, it, was, it was more so my own insecurities and my own. Uh, I was just uncomfortable. You know, it's mm-hmm. high, being in high school, you're transitioning, really getting to know yourself, and you need your your parents or the, someone someone that you're used to to go to and, and talk about self esteem issues, etc. Here I am with these two strangers mm-hmm. in their home, and their kids go snuggle in the bed with them, and I'll go in there on a Sunday morning, like in my pajamas, like. 
hey, like, I don't know, if I'm not about to jump in the bed and snuggle next to y'all. They had a big king bed. It was right. a situation where it's just weird. They're not my parents. Right. You know, their dad would come in and massage their necks and just skip me and massage the other ones. Just like, mm-hmm. you know, why'd you massage me? I'm your kid too. But then it's like, why are you massage me? I'm not your kid. Like, it was right. Just, it was just weird. It was weird. So mm-hmm. I was never comfortable being in a foster home. So as a result, I latched on to my best friend and his family, and they loved me, and I've snuggled in and been a, mm-hmm. been a sibling ever since. And his parents were a big part of your life, right? 100%. His, um, not his father so much, but his mother. Mm-hmm. She came to all the way across country and tracked me to whatever she brought for him, Skittles and 7-Up at the time. For the, after our track meets, you bring the same thing for me. And even my senior year, he graduated and was a year ahead of me. She came to all my cross-country meets and all my track meets. That's that's Mama Sanders. <laughs> and you're still in touch with her? We're still in touch. Yeah, that's we talk awesome. Least, at least once a week, 20 years later. She had a big later. impact on your she life. She did. She did. She nurtured me and, and helped me and, um, mm-hmm. you know, with my shoulder to cry on. So it was, it was a beautiful situation to have her. And are you in touch with your father when he's in jail? And how long was he in jail? So my father ended up being in jail for essentially three years. My sophomore, junior, and senior year, and he got out my senior year. Mm-hmm. So he was in jail for three years. And I was in touch with him at least once a week or at least once a month we would talk. He would call the house. I would accept the call regardless. Mm-hmm. And we would talk. And um, I didn't care how much it cost. I was going to talk to my father. And was he in touch with your brother? Or did he kind of resent your brother for... You know, everything that happened. My dad wasn't the one that hold grudges. He was like, he'll laugh at him. Like, I almost mm-hmm. killed your brother and laugh about it. Anyway, how you doing, boy? How's school? Like, he was just a little crazy oh, wow. like that. So, um, I don't, I know what it was for me that I, I just, I had always told my father regardless. I don't know when him and my brother connected. I do know by the time he was out that him and my brother were close enough for, and my brother was in college for him to like walk and spend like a day or two together, walk and talk and do some like family, some, some pro project my brother had. Who's a part of. And how are you doing in school at this time? So uh, my freshman year, while living with my father, I wasn't doing so well. My grades actually went up substantially when I became a foster kid. Oh, wow. It was stable. Mm-hmm. You had, had food. food. You <laughs> had running water. Running because water, clean clothes. You didn't tell everybody how you used to wash your clothes in the snow. Yeah, I did. I mean, like, just to tell a story about that, a little sidebar story. Um, you know, I think it was it was um, March of, like, third grade. I remember this because I was trying out for, like, the third grade. It was, like, we're young, but, you know, the track team or something like that. But mm-hmm. I came home, and uh, the, the water was off and the electric was off. Um, so that was like the first time I was off for maybe like a month. And, but then the next year when I was a fourth grader, um, the water got cut off in like December and stayed off for like four or five months. And it snows a lot in Dayton, Ohio. For those mm-hmm. people that don't know, it snows a lot. It snows every year. And, um, I remember uh, using bar soap, melting snow. And once the snow melted, we put our dirty clothes in the snow, melted snow water and we use bar soap. And stop it! I would put our hands on the sides of the of the one on the wall, one on the bathroom, in the, the door to the tub, and we would just stomp our clothes out. So you were so resourceful as a child, yes. like yeah, survival like of the brother, Yeah, it was like my brother's idea, but he led whatever survival technique mm-hmm. we were implementing for the day to eat or to do whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, we would stomp our clothes out. We would. Um, hang them out on the wet and outside in the wet, cold air, and they would end up drying but being sour. And we'd just throw those clothes on and wear them to school sometimes two, three days in a row with, um, with the, I'll just keep my It's just kind of crazy to me that you're going to school, all this is going on, and, yes. like, people don't even know. They don't know. We, they have no idea that you're, like, this starving child yeah. that's witnessing to way too much yeah. for such a young age. Yeah, I would go to school hungry. I would tell, I remember, and I was in fifth grade, I told my teacher, Miss Peavy, that I didn't have lunch. So every day she would kind of like bring extra and I would eat her lunch. And then after school, she like stay, wash, mm-hmm. she like wash the board down and I'll take you to get like rallies, like a burger and fries. Mm-hmm. And she would drop me off at home. Like, so I would eat lunch. She made sure I had lunch and like a meal right after school. And it's 30 years later and you still remember her name because it's yes. people like that that had an impact on your life. Absolutely. And- um, so you mentioned to me that your foster mother passed away, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? And- yeah, so uh, so I, when we were in the foster home for about a year, just a year later, my brother, God bless him, he was able to graduate and go to college where I had just finished my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. So it's the summer between sophomore and junior year, and um, Anthony's birthday is July 21st, and he was away, he came home, and this is significant because... Um, she was like, oh, you know, he came home late, so I'm going to, you." Had, I had to start school the next day because I was year-round, 
and um, she wanted to get him a cake. So we had pizza for his birthday, and she said, I'm going to go get him a cake and also get some snacks for you for your first day of school. So um, I was like, okay. So she, I had to go to bed at 11, and she was going to go to the store and come back. She said, I'll wake you up when I get back. It was still Anthony's birthday. She left, came back, and she asked me, like, did I want like, whatever it was, like a, like a green apple, caramel apple, and, like, Pop-Tarts. That was my jam back then. <laughs> <laughs> brown sugar, cinnamon pop, brown sugar Pop-Tarts. But anyway, 45 minutes later, she came back, and, you know, she went to her room. I was asleep. My oldest foster brother came into the room, and he was like, hey, Ashley, get up. Something's wrong with Mama. I was like, what? And I was, like, listening. And she was like, I can't breathe, Daryl, who's her husband. Daryl, I can't breathe. And so I get up, put on my flip-flops, I go into around, and, like, all of the kids are there except their oldest biological daughter. So there are five of us standing in a semicircle in the uh, in her room, and she's this big woman. She's walking back and forth, like, hey, breathe, I can't breathe. I want you to live for God. Oh, my God, live for God. And we're looking at her like, I'm looking at Anthony, looking at me, I'm looking at my siblings. We're all looking at each other, eyes wide. And she said, live for God, y'all. And she threw up a little bit, fell to her knees, her grandson was there. I grabbed him. He was three years old. I grabbed him, went into the living room. And then a few minutes later, my foster sister screamed, like, no, mama. And then about four, you know, it turns into a blur. But like a few minutes later, the ambulance came in. I let them in. I still had my nephew. They go into the room, put her on a stretcher. It's like 11.45 midnight. We go to the hospital just a few blocks away. We're all in the emergency room, like, waiting. The doctors come out. And it was like that, that, that movie moment when they say, husband of the of our affairs i'm sorry there's nothing we could do oh my goodness and this is a year later you're living. this is just one year of living with them of having and did, and you mother. became close right because we became relatively close yeah yeah she died so how did that affect you and are you in that moment i remember leaning forward and anthony was like four people away and with mm-hmm. my mouth i said they mom died with my mouth oh my god mom died just with my voice. I mean, without a voice, I just made the lip movement like they mom died. He was like, and we just like we both leaned back, and they just started breaking down crying. I'm just like, oh my god, you no, know, it's not my mom, but I feel this moment. But yeah, I'm here for y'all. You know, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. Dang, it was tragic. So then you had to live with the dad and the children, right, so, for yeah. a couple more years. Yeah. So then the reality of it is that Anthony went back to college, and here I am. I'm a junior in high school, living with a foster father and my foster siblings. Like, how the hell did I end up here? I'm so pissed. Mm-hmm. Still talking to my father every week or every two weeks. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I'm a foster kid. I'm so mad at my at life. Aww. So you kind of became like an angry teenager. I was at this an point. angry ass teenager. I was angry. So how did you still walk a straight path, stay on the right path, and not go down? You know. The path of like drugs and destruction, and you'd been through hell. Like, how do you stay so mentally strong? That- you know, I knew that I wanted to. I, I thought at the time that I wanted to be an OBGYN. I was like, I'm gonna leave this place and I'm never coming back. Mm-hmm. Be a doctor, forget all these people. I'm never talking to them ever again once I graduate. I'm going to be a doctor. Right. That's that so. Was it was like for you motivation to I get the get hell out, out of get there. Get the hell out of Dodge. See, I feel like that doesn't happen to everybody. I don't think it happens to most people. But for me, I knew if I didn't, I didn't want to be a crackhead. I didn't want to be in jail. I didn't want to do labor. Yeah. I, knew I wasn't a person that was going to be doing labor for life. I was like, I have to figure this thing out. Yeah, and you have it, a it, lot of willpower. I have a lot of willpower. Cause there's nothing. There's, I have no other support. I only have me mm-hmm. to do whatever I want to do in life, and I believed that. Yeah, so at that point, it's just survival for you. Like, you got to do well in school, and yeah. you got to get the hell out of there. Yeah, 100%. And so you're living with um, you're living with your foster dad, and then you mentioned to me that he passes away, right? Yeah, so, so I live with my foster dad, and if you fast forward the story, junior year was relatively difficult. He never took me anywhere, never picked me up, never wanted to hang out, never wanted to talk. His conversation was short. Mind you, he's going through depression from losing the love of his life. They've been married for 25 years. Mm-hmm. and So like, so me, this is kind of happening again. It's like re- history repeating itself. Yes. I'm trying to connect to him and be his friend and get to know him, and he was just like a wall up. Mm-hmm. You're right. It was like part two. Yeah. Man, man loses his wife, and I'm like the kid in the picture. Right. I didn't even think Trying about to that. be the adult. Trying to be the adult. Trying to connect. Trying to That's probably take why it all you're in. so mature, because you kind of had to like step up. And... Right. 
Yes, I'm a 16-year-old, and junior year, he was very mean, very difficult. There's no other way to say it, but he was mean to me. Mm -hmm. uh, one time, I remember asking for, for money to take the um, bus to work because I was running late. I was like, can you take me or can you give me $5? And he said, neither. I don't have any money. So I left, and I was like, oh, shit. I, um, I have $5 in my little cubby hole in my room. So I went, I left, went a block away, and I came back. I was like, oh, let me go into the room. And I went back. My younger brother said, you know, Daddy, can I have some money? He's like, yeah, look in the whatever. It's $5 in there. I heard it. As I'm going to get my money, I was like, okay, I see how this is. Mm -hmm. I left back out. I don't know if he heard me, knew I was there or not, but I was like, you know what? This just makes me know that I have to do me mm -hmm. and get it on my own. Because he was, he, was he was just not fair. But then, fast forward, senior year, there's this thing called the Botillion. And it's like the most elite families put their son in a Botillion. It's equivalent to the Cotillion. Mm -hmm. where the women wear the dress and the white gloves. Uh -huh. Or the Botillion is for the men. Mm -hmm. So it's a prestigious event that happens like in late spring. And Anthony had done it his senior year and got the highest scholarship. My best friend Jason, who graduated before me, had got the highest scholarship last year. So I'm like, okay, I want to try my chances. There's like seven high schools. Everybody's a part of this organization. Um, I told Daryl I wanted to do it. And all of a sudden, he was so happy about it. Got my $1,000 my in first. He was telling everybody his son is in the Botillion. I was oh, like, wow. oh, mm. is this all I had to do to get some attention? This dude would never pick me up from work. He wouldn't pick me up from track practice or cross-country practice, but he picked me up and got me to go I wonder what it was about this. Like, maybe he was living vicariously through you and he wanted to do it as a kid You know something. what? This story is going to tell you exactly what happened. So it was in March. We fast-forward the story. He all, he made sure I made it to all my Saturday 11 a.m. practices and my son, my Wednesday 6 p.m. practices. He made sure I was there. Mm -hmm. So then we, he didn't come to cross-country meets. He didn't come to track meets. But we get to this this um, the week before the co the botillion. My father got out of prison, and then I have Daryl. My father came to the house. They had an argument, all this other stuff. But the botillion, like father son dinner, was that Friday. My dad had just got out of prison. I was gonna I was gonna hurt Daryl and and not let him go and tell my biological father to go. I was like, you know what? This man, although he was mean to me, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign him up as my father. So I didn't tell oh, my biological wow. father. So that Friday, I took my my foster father to the father son banquet. Mm -hmm. He's like, son, give me a plate. You know, rubbing my shoulders, give me a plate, son. Can you fill my juice, son? I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm son. All of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So one of the special things about the father son banquet is the father and son have to go in the middle and put a kenta cloth over the son's neck, and the father tells you something that he never told you before, a secret of his life. So this is a Friday night. We go to this event. He put the scarf on my neck. He said, you know what, Ashley? The secret I have to tell you is that I'm, I'm, nervous. I'm so hard on you because I love you. And Aww. you and Anthony are everything I wanted my two biological children to be. And I'm hard on you because I love oh, you. Oh, wow. I paused and said, I love you too, That's girl. deep. So we hugged and went and sat down. I was like, this is my dad. So... He became my father in that moment. Oh, my so gosh. That I'm going to cry. Stop. So then we drove home. We sat in front of the house in the truck. And for three hours, she told me how he met Alva. They had Their houses were back to back when he was like, he was nine. She was eight. He, she used to tell on him for sneaking girls in. They mm -hmm. hated each other. But they ended up going to the same college, pledging Alpha and AKA. Mm -hmm. And then they ended up riding home together. And they back and forth and being like the sister of the Alpha, they ended up falling in love. That's and they end up getting married. They've known each other their whole lives. They've been married 25 years. So this was Friday night. The story's about to get really interesting. Saturday, I was at the, the all the bowls and their girlfriends were at this big house with our friends with a lot of money, you know, playing pool, being teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I call at the house, land phone, and say, hey, Dad, anybody call me? He's like, yeah, someone calls you. You need to get your butt home anyway to get your nephew up for church in the morning. I was like, huh? He's like, get your ass home. You got to get up, get your nephew ready for church in the morning. I was like, okay. Like, we just bonded yesterday, and you're being nasty. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. You know, I was respectful. So I came home. I come in. He's sleeping in the bed with my nephew. I'm like, where's everybody else? Anthony's in college. Everybody else is gone. Parties, friends, godmom's house. Everybody's just gone. So it's just me. So I go and say, hey, Daryl, I'm home. He's like, yeah, so get ready for church in the morning. I was like, it's only 11 o'clock. I can wake up at by 9. What time are we leaving? We're leaving at 930. I was like, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So I called my friend Jason. We talked for like two hours because he was going way back to college the next day. And the next morning, it was 9, 12 a.m., my nephew comes in there. Uncle Ashley. No, he's like, Uncle Ashley, Uncle Ashley, wake up. He made me some cereal. I was like, what time is he? he I said, the clock is 9, 12. He's like, Papa won't wake up and give me no cereal. I was like, well, tell him to get up. We got to go to church at 9, 30. I was like, Daryl, it's time to get up. You don't want to make me come home. Make me come for my party. You need to get up. We got to go to church in 20 minutes. 
So Mario, go get your grandpa up. So he left and he came back. He was like, Uncle Ashley was 9.15. I was like, Daryl, get up. It's time to go to church. He said, Uncle Ashley, Papa won't get up. And he froze it. I was like, he's what? He froze it. He's cold. I put on my house shoes. I flip-flop around through the rooms connected, past the bathroom, past my sister's room, living room, kitchen, and I see him. And he's on his back with his arm out. Daryl, it's time to get up. We got to go to church. We're leaving 10 minutes. You made me come up for my party. You're not even up. I go in there. He didn't move, and he wasn't breathing. I grabbed his neck, checked his pulse. He died in his sleep. Holy shit. This was, like, the next day? The next day. Oh, my God. He died in his sleep. All right. I just had to pause that for a second because you didn't tell me that before. Holy shit. So... Okay, now you've ex- you've experienced so much loss at this point. Yes. And I feel like you're not that emotional when you're when you found out they passed away. Like what is it like to find I mean, you found both of your foster parents dead on the floor. Yeah. Like I would be freaking traumatized. I'd be hysterical crying i mean i'm a very emotional person are you just not that emotional is it that you've just seen too much that you're more like numb to this you know i think i was in that moment i was numb but my nephew again was there in the bed it was my foster sister's son he was five or he wasn't in the bed he was wanting cereal oh mario let's go downstairs we had a dog i'm like stay downstairs with the dog i'll get you some cereal i'll turn on cartoons he's like yay so Mm -hmm. he was like distracted so i came upstairs and i sobbed it was like 9, 15, 9, 20 in the morning. I cried for like 15 minutes at his feet. And when I stopped crying and got quiet, I remember I was getting ready for my senior year, which is going to be of track, which is going to be very successful. He said he would make it to my meets this year. He had never seen me run. Mm-hmm. I heard him say something. He repeated something. He I heard him, something he told me just weeks prior. He said, Ashley, you got to keep on going, son. He said, if you're running a race and you fall before the finish line, like right before the finish line, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay there and cry? Or are you going to get up and keep running? Finish that race. I said, I'm going to get up and keep running. I'm going to finish this race. Oh, wow. And then I got up. And I wiped my face off. I said, did he just speak to me? That's deep. And I went and I got on the phone called his oldest son and said, hey, did you come home last night? He said, yeah, I came home at like 2 and I left at like 6 so I had to go to work. So mm-hmm. I, he just kind of, I was up late, but he came and left. I was like, did you see your dad this morning? He was like, yeah, he was sleeping in bed. I was like, come home. He was like, well, I was like, your dad is dead. He's like, what? Are you playing? Actually, quit playing. I was like, come home now. Your dad is dead. I'm going to hang up. Come home now. And I hung up. Then I called, started just making calls. Call, I called 911 after that. And just started calling other people. I just took the phone just kept calling. People were arriving. I'm like, I'm just calling. Hey, Anthony, come home. Daryl died. Hey, Don, come home. Daryl died. Hey. Are you worried at this point about you? Like, what's going to happen to you? Because now... You know what? I was like, you know what? I'm 17. I graduate in six weeks. The Botillion was going to be the was is the coming Friday. So what happened mm-hmm. at the Botillion the next Friday? You know, we, we prepped everything and got everything ready for the funeral, which is going to be the following Saturday. So the Botillion is the next Friday. They had a rose on, on that. We bought an extra seat for Alva mm-hmm. and had a rose. And they called me out. They said, Ashley Head, Bo Ashley Head, he's Dunbar High School, honor roll, track runner, blah, blah, blah. He's going to Morehouse College. He's the son of the um, present Daryl Favors and the late Alva Favors. And everybody paused. And they said, and this was televised, like, we apologize. He's he's basically deceased as well. They said he's we apologize. He's deceased as well. He's the son of the late Alva Favors and the late Daryl Favors. And everyone clapped uh, and applauded for me. I stood there with my cane, teary eyed, cameras on me, lights on me, and I, they just clapped for it seemed like forever, but probably like a minute. Everyone in the building. And then from there, you end up living in the foster home by yourself, right? Yes. Yes, yeah, so the funeral was the next day, and um, my counselor, Athena Hart-Brown, my, who had my caseworker, came to the house in the middle of all this commotion of you know the funeral, et cetera. She grabbed me, took me to the car, drove me to a park, and she said, look, um, protocol is to visit you once a month. What I'll do is I'll let my boss know that, you know, your foster father died, but I'm going to put your file on the back so I don't have to visit you for at least six weeks. Mm-hmm. Behave yourself, meaning basically I'm not going to do my normal visit because I know you're living on your own, but you're responsible and I trust you, so behave yourself. Be good, be good, graduate, 
and you know they're not gonna put me in a foster home from like June to August. I go to college in August, so right. I stayed independent from March to August of my uh, my well, my senior year. I was just independent with no parents. And talk a little bit about the scholarships you got in the college that you got into. Yeah, so um, so that that was my senior year. Of course, I had applied for many many scholarships in the fall of my senior year. So by the end of senior year, I was awarded about $500,000 in, $500, in scholarships. And so where did you end up, what school did you end up choosing? So I ended up going to, uh, and mind you, none of these scholarships actually were applied to this school because they, did, they, uh, they were, uh, those were tuition scholarships. So mm -hmm. I ended up going to Morehouse College, surviving off of uh, loans off of some private scholarships and also uh, the UNCF scholarship. So I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, mm -hmm. which is the number one HBCU. And then at this time, your dad in, is still in your life, right? You, you know what? Actually, he is. So all these things are happening to me. But my father is now out of prison, and I'm reconnecting with him, and mm -hmm. he's calling me every Sunday. One thing about my father is he was very... Uh, possessive mm -hmm. and very um, very uh, protective so uh, one of the things he would do he would call me every single Sunday with his phone cards with some 20 minutes on it and he would say you know like how my how's my studies going am I eating and his main thing was if I'm drinking a full-size 12 ounce can of any kind of soda make sure it's still half water and half soda like he oh my god so here I am 18 years old Pouring, like I have a water bottle and I love it's sunny. kind of ironic right yeah, yeah to be so like not responsible with us but then also want to like manage the food that I am eating yeah it was interesting so I, even as an 18 year old freshman in college I was like pouring half juice and mm -hmm. like when nobody's looking I would fill it up with half water because that's how I was raised yeah because you still like even through everything you still respected your father and yeah his He's in, yeah, like, he was in Dayton, Ohio, 600 miles from me, and he's mm -hmm. calling me to tell me, go to the store and buy some nutty bars and some oatmeal pies and put them under your bed because you may get hungry at night and you need to make sure you have them. I'm like, okay, Dad, I got them. He's like, listen to me, fool, dude. I tell you, it's like, I am. I'm getting them. And I would mm -hmm. actually go and have snacks under my bed just in case. I never woke up in the middle of the night hungry, but mm -hmm. for my father's sake and just because I had reverence for him, I would do those things. Mm -hmm. It's crazy, right? All right, well, we have to wrap it up, but there are a couple more things I want to talk about. Sure. Um, so your dad ends up passing away your freshman year of college, right? Yeah, after my freshman year of college, he, he, he passed. And what was the cause of him um, passing? Was he, it he actually died of a... He had an apartment, was living with somebody, and ended up um, having a heart attack, dying alone. Wow. And how did you respond to that? Because, like, you just now experienced two other losses at this point, or you just kind of, yeah. I was in and shock. Your dad meant a lot to you, so he I did. know this one had to have probably hit you a little bit harder. It did. I was like, wow, I dealt with death, but, like, when it's your father, it mm -hmm. just feels like a piece of you dies. And um, luckily, I've been in touch with him, so, mm -hmm. you know, we had that connection. But I was like, wow, this is, like, really it. Like, my father's no longer here. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it was his fault or whatever life that I hadn't lived with him in for the last part of my life. But, right. But, um... I just think it's amazing that you had been through all of that and you still didn't resent him and feel, like, bitterness toward him. I mean, you're strong for that. Yeah. <laughs> he did. I was young, a young man. He did give me his royal blue Camaro, 1992 Camaro, just six months oh. prior. So... <laughs> That made it easier for you, right? Zoom, 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 down the highway. You're like, all is forgiven after that. Thanks for these materials, thanks. Okay, but I mean, you still experience all that trauma growing up. How do you not let that affect you even now in life? I mean, there's so many people that are our age that are in therapy. They've got, like, you know, all this trauma from their childhood, this baggage that they're trying to work through. Um, but for you, it seems like you're able to kind of just separate that. I don't know if you just put it in a closet and you've never dealt with it or like, and you're in complete denial. Like little do I know you're just in denial. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, I actually, um, you know, it was really hard for me. I did show out. I, mm -hmm. I was mean to people at certain times in my life. I would. I was more introverted. I was shady in college and wouldn't let people get close to me. Mm. One time, a friend who ended up being my roommate was like, um, "Ashley, you never really 
you never really, you're not, you're not cool, you're not open. They call me Northern Shade my freshman year of college because mm-hmm. I was shady. I wouldn't speak to people. I walk right to groups. I would right. act. When I was to a study group, I would get up, grab my bag, and leave. So yeah. I was shady. And um, this one guy said, um, he's like, Ashley, why do you so shady? Why do I call you shady? Because like, I don't need friends. I didn't come to college to make friends. I came to college to Dang. get my degree and become a doctor. <laughs> he was like, well, have you ever considered who may need you? And he walked away. Oh, wow. I was like, wow, that was a... And did that change your perspective a little bit? It really You're did. Like, it made right, me open me... up to say, like, you know what? Maybe people do need me. Maybe... Yeah, that you I could do... have an impact I... on other yeah. people. I mean, yeah. everything you've been through, you can definitely use that and reach yeah. out to other people. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of stories you hear where people like you have been through so much shit and then come out on top, have such a positive attitude. I mean, I think it's pretty inspiring because a lot of people that go through that stuff, you know, they they end up being a victim and then mm-hmm. they go through life just, you know, kind and of... a victim. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I refuse to be the victim. And so, um, no, all the things that happened to me, they happened to mm-hmm. me. They didn't be- I didn't become those things. They didn't become me. Right. So didn't you didn't that- want it to define your story. A hundred percent. I didn't let that part of my story define me. Right. So my story has not defined me. I define me. Right. Meaning I defy the odds. And, um, I, you know, the self-talk was, you can do this, you're better than this, life goes on. As right. a scientist, I know this black and white, like, people die, it's inevitable, it just happened a lot faster for, like, mm-hmm. probably six or seven people around me. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I just dealt with it objectively. I was sad. I think that's the scientist in you. Mm-hmm. I think you're able to kind of, like, differentiate, like, whereas, I don't know, me, I'm so emotional and stuff that, for you, you're able to just you know tell yourself like it's death it happens like mm-hmm. you have to move on and and me i'm probably like why does this have to happen <laughs> like, <laughs> you know oh my god <laughs> so yeah so um yeah a lot of heartache a lot of you know mm-hmm. and i've heard and i know friends who've gone through other situations whether it be death or disease or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is I just, you know, I, I pushed through it is what I did. And yeah, and somehow you see the glass half full and it's just, like, right. really amazing. I mean, if if you could give others advice that have been through something or they're going through something, and what would your one piece of advice be to them, um, you know, to be hopeful and to move forward? You know, I would say, I mean, especially for people who've been in foster care like me, to, you know, understand that it's... It, is that we a lot of times we take on the things that happen to us and we make it our own. We make it our story. Don't uh, don't blame yourself for the things that have happened to you or even mistakes that you've made mm-hmm. that um, took you down a different path. Take it as a lesson. And if you're going through a struggle like I did when I was younger, or even when I go through struggles now with what whatever it is, mm-hmm. I ask myself, you know what? What is the lesson? And learning the lesson of the situation, you can get through it. You can right. navigate and you can what better yourself from you can better yourself absolutely so mm-hmm. when I have hard times or you know I think about like man why did my mom die when I was two weeks old or why is my dad not here or mm-hmm. when I you know why my children won't know their grandparents on my side I don't even know my family history really on either side mm-hmm. but you know what I say all the things that I don't have that I didn't have as a child I'm going to provide for my children Right. And have a close knit family and be mm-hmm. there for my children so it's like there's nothing I can do about it move forward yeah. so people should you know Learn a lesson in any adverse situation. What is the solution to this problem? And move through it. And don't blame yourself for the things that are happen- that happen in your life. Right. Yeah. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for telling everyone your story and being so honest and vulnerable and open. You're welcome. Um, let's get out of here and go get some burritos. All right. So, Ashley, for anybody that's listening who might want to get in touch with you, can you give them your Instagram, your Facebook? Sure. So, my uh, Instagram is I am, or at I am Ashley Head. It's the same for Twitter, I am Ashley Head. And then if you're on Facebook, we can connect. Um, uh, it's just my name, Ashley T. Head. All right. Well, there you go. Thanks, everybody, for listening. All right. Thanks. <laughs>